Do you have a fitness tracker or an app? Do you weigh yourself regularly? Maybe you weigh yourself every day. Do you know exactly how many calories you eat or how many calories you burn after every workout? Yet, do you actually find yourself not being able to achieve your goals? On today's Midweek Motivational Wednesday episode, Susie shares a case study in which self-monitoring can sometimes do more harm than good and how to achieve a balance between self-awareness and self-sabotage. Hi, I'm Leanne Ward. And I'm Susie Burrell. And every week we bring you the Nutrition Couch podcast, the bi-weekly podcast that keeps you up to date on everything that you need to know in the world of nutrition and health. As well as our client case study today, we share a high-protein pizza base that we are loving and my fabulous mini muffins inspired by Mia that are great snacks for both toddlers, kids, and adults as well. So Susie, I'm going to hand over to you and we're going to do our case study of the week, which we always think is a great sort of midweek motivational app just to talk about some real life case examples. And I, for one, wear my Garmin every day. So I'm a big fan of tracking my steps and logging my sleep. But we do know that sometimes it can do a little bit more harm than good, can't it? It's a fine line, isn't it? Because of course, we do like people to sort of monitor and make sure the scales aren't creeping up. Or I often am a big fan myself of my fitness power for clients to keep an eye on their macros or become more aware of portion control. So I would say on the whole, yeah, and of my clients who at any one time I'm perhaps seeing, you know, six, maybe 10 who are going through their their sort of 12, 24-week journey and, and really focusing on losing that 20, 30 kilos. So on the whole... Of that client group, I would see, I would say 80%, if not 90, are what I would call under monitors. So they are not so aware of calories that are slipping in. They could do with a few days in my fitness pal, and they certainly are not keeping a close eye on their steps and movement. And also something I've been speaking a lot about lately is exercise intensity and really checking heart rates when we're training. And that actually has reminded me of another great case study that we'll talk about in another couple of weeks' time. But I actually also wanted to talk about today the 10% where the self-monitoring does more harm than good. And this isn't one specific client, rather a general pattern that I observe. I've got two or three on my mind of clients where the self-monitoring is doing more harm than good. So the two examples I'll give are the daily weighing. Now, body weights change dramatically based on the fluid load that you've got the amount of carbohydrate you've got stored in your muscle, how much salt you've eaten, and even just the load of food. So if you take a raw weight in the morning, and I say raw in terms of you've been to the bathroom, you haven't drunk anything yet, and then as soon as you eat a meal and drink 500 mils of water, that scale will go up as such because you're still transferring the volume of food in the gut, which is why in sports nutrition, we will go to liquid diets and things right before clients or sports athletes might weigh in just to get rid of that fluid weight. But it's actually not muscle or fat mass. It's purely just the sort of energy engine system that's working between fluids, salts, carbohydrates on a day-to-day basis. So what happens is for clients who are, they'll say, it doesn't bother me weighing every day. I've always weighed every day. But where I find it undoes weight loss is that subconsciously it tends to sabotage because the two scenarios are, if I've got a client who weighs every day and then they see the scales aren't moving even though they would like them to be moving, it often sabotages them to say, oh, well, it's not working. It doesn't matter what I do. And then they change my diet. So for example, one of the clients I'm thinking about, she was noticing the scales weren't changing. So she thought to herself, I don't need the afternoon tea. And then she cut it out. 
And then, of course, that really mucked up my macro and calorie balance for her. And indeed, it sort of plateaued the weight to an even greater extent. So she self-changed the meal plan or the diet or the way she was eating. It had nothing to do with how she felt, how much food she ate, whether she was hungry or not. So those basic measures. The other thing it will do is that if the scales are moving in the right direction, Clients will then say, I'm on track and give themselves permission to eat foods that they wouldn't normally because they feel they've been good and they've lost weight. So even if it's not a conscious thing, subconsciously it tends to undermine your behavior. Now, sometimes it doesn't affect clients whatsoever and they will still remain in tune with their body. But in more cases than not, with my serial dieters and regular weighers, If they're weighers every day, twice a day, three times a day, I guarantee you it will be doing more harm than good. Because when it comes to the human body, it's not a one size exact model. There's so many variables that go in on a daily basis. When you fine tune and hone in on one, it tends to muck up all the other ones, particularly appetite and hunger, which will differ each and every day, which is why if you eat the same thing every single day, I guarantee you're not in tune with your hunger because there's no possible way you feel like eating the exact same volumes and amounts every single day or your energy output is the same every single day. So there should always be nuances in that. That's why, sure, taking a weight once or twice a week can be a rough guide, but I would never be worried with a one-off measurement or even just weight alone. I prefer a waist as well. So just a, a reminder, if you're a daily weigher, but not getting where you want to get to, it may be doing more harm than good in a period without, even just going back to measuring with a tape measure and remaining number one priority in touch with your hunger is the most important thing to do. And that, Leanne, is the same for my calorie monitors who constantly put it into my fitness. And I love my fitness pal, but when they're obsessively doing it every day and saying at the end of the day, oh, I've got 200 calories less and eating when they're not even hungry, again, it's doing more harm than good. So keep in mind that any calorie assessment is a very rough guide. There's at least 20% error rate because of the range of foods out there, the way they've been entered, portion differences, different brands. So sure, it can be used as a rough guide, but I would never be counting calories within 100 or 200. That's how much error there is. And the same with, say, grams of carbohydrate. If I've given a recommendation for, say, 30 grams of carb at breakfast, if it was 25 one day and 35 the other, I wouldn't care. As long as it was within 10 to 20%, I'd be pretty happy. So by all means, we know self-monitoring is extremely predictive of outcome, but it's that fine line where it becomes obsessive that it can be doing more harm than good. And if you're an obsessive monitor of weight and or calories and macros and your body's not changing, that's a sign it's doing more harm than good. Mm, 100%. And I actually don't allow my clients to weigh regu- like weigh daily. Like if they weigh daily, I say, no, as part of my program, like I'm going to get you to stop doing that. Even though you think that it's helpful for you, I can guarantee you that it's not because like you said, it basically promotes self-sabotage. And I want them focusing on the daily habits and the daily behaviors and getting their thoughts right and being in tune with their body when it comes to hunger and that sort of thing versus letting the scale dictate their their choices or their behaviors for the day. So I have never been a fan of daily weighing um, unless of course you're someone who's like competing in a boxing competition and you have to get your weight to a certain level or something like that. But for 99% of people, you do not need to weigh daily and it's not actually going to provide anything that helpful for you basically. And the other thing when I think about in terms of monitoring and tracking is really 
eating what you burn. So I had an Instagram message from a just a, I don't know, random girl the other day. And she said, hey, Leanne, been following you for years. Love the potty. I just had a question. My fitness watch says that I burn, you know, roughly four to 500 calories per workout. When I calculate my calorie deficit, do I then get to eat this back? And I was like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> because fitness watches tend to overestimate calories burned. A lot of people think they're burning four or 500 calories in a workout, but typically they're probably only burning, I don't know, between three and four or something like that. So it tends to overestimate calories burned. Even in steps, Susie, I know that when I'm on a podcast and when I'm talking to clients on calls, I like to wave my hands a lot. I'm very expressive when I talk. My step count can go up two, 3,000 steps, me sitting at my desk <laughs> talking to clients. If I do three, four, five, six clients in a row and I've done two, 3,000 steps, I didn't walk at all. I just waved my hands around for a couple of hours at clients when I was being very expressive when I was talking to them in the nicest possible way. I'm not yelling at them or anything thing, but I'm just expressive when I when I talk about things, when I explain things, I do it a lot with my hands. So these fitness watches have to be taken with a grain of salt. So I like my clients to just look at their sleep patterns. I like them to log their hydration. I like them to, you know, look at their heart rate zones when they're training, but I don't get them to weigh daily. I don't get them to track their calories burned in their workouts. And I certainly, we sort of take the daily steps and we take that with a little grain of salt as well, because if anyone like me, it's kind of overestimating kind of what you do on a daily basis. So I use it as an average or a baseline. And if a client's baseline is say 4,000 steps on average for the week or for the day, then I'll push them up to say 6,000. I'll give them an extra 2,000. So I use it as part of an overall picture of what we're doing and not take every little aspect of it and say that that's 100% black or white or that's exactly what it is. So I think we just have to take these monitoring tools with a grain of salt. They're fabulous. I'm absolutely a fan of my Garmin. Couldn't love it anymore, but I do think that sometimes for some people, they can do more harm than good, like you said. True. And it just reminded me, my little twins have got a fantastic Garmin kids one. Mini, is it called a mini? It's fantastic. They love it. They love wearing it to school with their friends. But the other day in the car, my little boy was like kicking his legs, cycling around saying how many steps you've done. <laughs> like he thought that was just so fabulous. So yes, they can. you can certainly rig them or change them around to get the results you're looking for as well. So yeah, they're a rough guide only. All right. Well, for our product review of the week, something you had found, but I actually need to ask you, is it the one in the orange packet, the Coles pizza base, or is it the legume lupin based one? No, no, no. I use the one in the orange packet. Yeah, because yeah, they've had, actually got two. Cole's Kitchen High Protein Pizza Base, which is really interesting product, Leanne, because this one has got fava bean flour in it to really bump up the protein. But I actually haven't seen that one before. So the one no, we're going to look at today, that. yeah, so interesting. That's the Coles Kitchen. I think it's probably in the fresh section. But the one we're going to look at today is the Coles Low Carb High Protein Pizza Base. Now, who doesn't love pizza? We all love it. But you can get some fantastic lower carb pizza bases that taste amazing now. And I have been encouraging my clients, if they use one, to have half for dinner, half for lunch the next day with a salad. And it's a fantastic option. So I agree. So this is the one in the orange packet and per serve. So the serves, I believe there's two in a pack, which is 200 grams retailing for 540, which is also very cost effective. I love that. So it's like literally chill 70 for a single base and you're going to get two meals out of that. So that's very cost effective. They're saying 100 grams is the serve. So that's half the pizza. So that would be uh, about three slices. It's got 14, almost 15 grams of protein. 24.5 grams of carbohydrate or the equivalent of two slices of bread, three grams of sugars, quite low sodium, less than 300 milligrams. Actually, I think a serve is a whole pizza. I'll just interrupt you. Like, I think a whole pizza is 100 grams. 
Because it's saying per 100 grams here is, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. a whole pizza is a serving, which is why I really like it because it's like a smaller base, but it's actually, it's, it's a really good amount. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. So that means if you own, so would you need a whole one for a meal or half? Yeah, yeah. I use a whole one. I give it to my clients a whole one. Then I just put cheese and veggies on top because it's pretty high protein. Then you can um, add some cheese as well. Wow. Yeah, okay. That's pretty good. Or if you wanted to add, you know, like salami or ham or be a bit more decadent with the protein, you could use, say, half or three quarters if you wanted. Yeah. Oh, that's really good then. Yeah. So that's sort of a 300 calorie pizza base on its own. And you're getting about two slices of bread worth of carb for the entire base and only 300 milligrams of sodium. So 18 grams of dietary fiber. So what I wanted to ask you there, does it upset your stomach because it's got such a heavy fiber load? No, because it's that modified type of fiber. Like it's not like you're getting 18 grams of like whole grains itself. It's very, it's a very highly processed product, put it that way. Like I wouldn't say it was like a whole food-based product. The bulk of the protein and the fiber is coming from modified grains. So they're using a lot of wholemeal wheat flour. They're using modified wheat starch. They're using modified wheat protein isolate and a little bit of wheat gluten. So the fiber content, I have quite a sensitive gut and I'm fine with it. I have a lot of clients with IBS and a sensitive gut and they're okay with it as well. So the type of fiber, although it's incredibly high, it's not like that roughage type of fiber that would send you running to the bathroom or anything like this. It's very rare that I've found a client really struggled with this. So it is that more that modified type of high fiber. So it's not ideally the best type of fiber that we want going in, but there's certainly nothing wrong with it either. And it's certainly better than a fast food pizza, 100%. And what we'll do is I've actually spied now these Coles Kitchen High Protein ones that are made with the fiber bean base. But what I'll do is I'll get Leanne to try them first make sure they don't upset anyone's gut before we talk about them because we don't want to give you this product that you go away with and get an upset tummy. But they look very interesting, Leanne. So that's your mission with Sophie. Track down these Coles Kitchen high-protein pizza bases and give those a go for us as well. But, yeah, check them out. There's a lot of these great products, which mean you can have your pizza with the family but not completely undo your nutritional goals as well. So check them out. Yeah, and it's a great option for vegetarians. It's actually very similar very early on in the potty. Like I'm talking probably over a year ago, Susie and I reviewed the high-protein Woolworths pizza bases. They're very, very similar. I will dare say that Coles did a little bit of a copycat from Woolworths. They're very similar. You know, you get two in each one, 200 grams. Woolworths to two-pack is $5. The Coles one is five forty for the two-pack. So yeah, I'm a big, big fan, particularly for vegetarian ones, because it's a high protein base. You can just add some cheese and some veggies on top and you've got a really nourishing, warming, higher protein dinner option. All right, Susie. And then that brings me to the next section, which is our recipe of the week. And I popped up something on my Instagram yesterday showcasing Mia's favorite mini muffins. I've made these since basically she started solids at about six or seven months and they're little mini banana blueberry muffins. So they're really easy to make. I make them in bulk and then I freeze them and then I just defrost them and sort of warm them up in the microwave before I give them to her as a bit of a snack sometimes. Or sometimes if she's still a bit hungry after dinner, I'll give her a bit of these. So these are no added sugar, but the sugar does come naturally from the fruit that's in there. So what I do is I use two cups of self-raising wholemeal flour. I use two third cups of rolled oats, a little pinch of cinnamon or nutmeg. I use a couple of tablespoons of chia seeds or hemp seeds just to get some healthy fat through there. I use half a cup of extra virgin olive oil for again a really nice healthy fat profile. A cup of milk, whatever milk that is. If you've got kids or toddlers with cow's milk protein allergy, you could use almond, you could use soy, you could use oat, it doesn't matter. I just use normal full cream milk for Mia. 
Then I use two large mashed bananas. Now I mash them up and that helps to bind the muffins. What you could do if you're not a banana fan or your kids don't like bananas, you could actually just use a couple of eggs instead. So the eggs will provide the binding capacity. But when I first made these, I was a little bit worried about me. Like I hadn't actually done eggs yet for her allergen challenge. Like the first time she had these, she was really, really, really young and she'd already had reactions to nuts. So I was a little bit cautious about the different types of allergens I did. So rather than using eggs, I used bananas to bind and then I kind of have ever since. But if you're wanting to add a little bit more protein in, you could probably easily swap out one of the bananas for some eggs. And then I throw in about one and a half cups of blueberries as well. And you basically just stir it all up, put it into little mini muffin tins. I just give the tins a good spray with a little bit of spray oil so they don't stick. And then you bake it in the oven. So I that recipe for me gives me... 24 mini muffins and 12 smaller cupcake ones as well. So it makes a fairly decent amount. So David and I will have the smaller like little cupcake ones for ours. And then Mia has one to two of the mini muffins as well. And then, as I said, I just bag them up and I freeze them, throw them in the freezer. They're good fresh for about three days. And then anything after that, you kind of want to do something with them. Because if you leave them past about four or five days, they start to grow mold and they're not as pleasant. (laughs) Yeah, no, I freeze them and I snapped that recipe. Actually, I'm going to make that up too. I thought it was a really good one. So delicious. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let us know what you think. We'll post the recipe on our Instagram account. As I said, they're great for adults. They're also very, very good for babies and little kids as well. And you can easily adapt that as well. Like if you had celiac disease, I would just use some gluten-free flour instead of the wholemeal flour and maybe swap your rolled oats out for something like quinoa flakes. And if you've got dairy problems, instead of using normal milk, you know, I would use something like a soy milk or an almond milk or something as well. So very, very adaptable recipe base. And if you didn't have blueberries, you could use raspberries, you could use any, any type of fruit or berries as well. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another Nutrition Couch episode. So we'd love if you could subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, send them any episodes that you think that they would really benefit from because we love when new listeners find the podcast. And of course, our brand new Perry Guide is available on our website as well, thenutritioncouch.com. So any ladies in their late 30s, 40s and 50s who are feeling those hormones coming into play, make sure you check out the Perry Guide on our website. It's available worldwide and we'd love for you to have a read and we'll catch everybody in the next episode. Have a great week.